Welcome to Pro Se, Law 360's weekly podcast. I'm your host, Amber McKinney. On today's show, we've got a case I'm really looking forward to talking about. It's about the Supreme Court's decision to weigh in on the constitutionality of President Trump's immigration travel ban. This case pits executive power in the name of national security against a policy that some say is just a smokescreen for religious discrimination. Senior immigration reporter Alyssa Wickham will join us to talk through the arguments on both sides and let us know what to expect moving forward. We'll also be joined by Abraham Musako, who will share the legal industry developments from the week. And don't miss the end of the show when we discuss the arrest of an ex-big law associate who tried to extort partners at the firm. As always, I'm here with my co-hosts, Bill Donahue. Hello, hello. And Alex Lawson. Hey, guys. So, guys, what are we going to talk about today? Well, I, th- I feel like we have to take care of some important business first. I, it, it is my great, I, I am, I, it brings me no pleasure to report that there uh, were two lawyers that were sent home from The Bachelorette uh, this week. Here's the thing. I have no idea what you're talking about because there's no way that I watch The Bachelor and The Bachelorette and I'm in Bachelorette Fantasy Leagues. There's no way that's There's the no case. way that's the case. <laughs> right. I, even losing two lawyers, we still have the most important lawyer on that show. Yeah, The Bachelorette herself, Rachel right. Lindsay. Right. And well... I, I think a good transition from this is to talk about some other borderline reality TV that's been <laughs> happening in the Eastern District of Brooklyn. Playing out in our, ju- in our uh, judicial um, system, yes. The, uh, the long-awaited trial of the infamous pharma bro, Martin Shkreli, yeah. has kicked off this week in Brooklyn Federal Court. Uh, Did I hear a boo? Did I hear people booing? That's usually what happens when you bring up his name. I think Stephen Keller going to drop in some sound here. <laughs> yeah, and... they're going to have to, like hissing and booing. Uh, so we all remember... Shkreli, he was the guy who Hard to forget. Uh, rose to infamy when he uh, raised the price of a HIV drug by 5,000%, sort of, uh, <laughs> overnight. Somehow he he's like, not, yeah. He was a media sensation after that. Everyone Correct. knows exactly who he is. I'm Correct. sure we're all and, picturing and he, him right and, now. And he has other traits about him that, that you know, don't don't endear him to, to the public. But somehow he's not on trial for the uh, HIV medication Correct. stunt, right? Well, that's yeah. the thing. You see these headlines about it, and you're like, oh, finally, they they, they brought in Shakrilli on the, on the HIV drug thing. He is indicted for something completely different. Yeah. Uh, he is... Uh, he's, got, he's got a lot of irons in the fire, right, as, exactly. as we're talking about here. Yeah. Um, so in a completely unrelated case, prosecutors brought criminal charges against Shkreli, saying that he sort of ran up... You know, it's you see it a lot in the media as a, sort of like a Ponzi-ish scheme. Yeah. Um, he founded a hedge fund, made some bad bets, founded another one, used those investments to pay some of the investors from the first one, oh. and then started a publicly traded pharma company that, that he then used to sort of deal with the other two. So he just sort of defrauded all the investors of all three, <laughs> according to prosecutors. So where are we in the case right now? So um, the spectacle of this week was the uh, jury selection process. Jury selection? And, that's boring, Bill. Oh, boy, was it fun this time. <laughs> uh, so we'll start with stats. Um it took two and a half days. Uh, they went through more than 200 uh, potential jurors. To For tra- a 12-person jury? Correct. To get wow. 12 people who were unbiased against Martin Shkreli. And, I, you know, I was watching this, and I kept thinking that this was like a like a pop quiz in, in, in law school or something where they're, you know, it's like, okay, here's the worst possible scenario. <laughs> you're, you're a criminal defense attorney, and your client is, uh, he price gouged 
AIDS victims. Yeah. Um, he was just a monster on Twitter. He was eventually banned on Twitter for harassing a female journalist. And I don't know if you guys he have been on Twitter a... lately. I mean, you got to do a lot to it's get banned on Twitter. It's a cesspool, so yeah. yeah. Well, he also was a jerk about a Wu-Tang Clan album. Correct. No he one likes is. him over that. He bought a one-of-a-kind Wu-Tang Clan album uh, on, on at auction. It's like $2 million or something? Yeah, or like yeah. one point something. Um, and so he he's, he's just the least sympathetic person that you could possibly imagine. So... So the jurors all said that, right? The jurors... Uh, Potential you know, jurors. His reputation preceded him. So Yeah, let's uh, get to some of the hits here. So we will just go through some of, the, some of the best quotes from the jury selection process. One guy said, he's the face of corporate greed in America. Bad, but not terrible. No, and yeah. they keep getting worse. Um, <laughs> here was a fun one. Quote, the only thing I'd be impartial about is which prison he goes to. Oh my God. <laughs> Drop wow. in the reggae horn. What is going on? Um, so one one woman didn't know any of the stuff with the HIV medicine oh, at a, all. That's like a perfect uh, candidate for a juror there. She said, I looked right at him, and in my head, I said, that's a snake. <laughs> Hell yeah. Wow. Uh, one guy simply said, uh, he kind of looks like a dick. Whoa. Uh, we're going to have to use the bleep button. Um, another guy said he had total disdain for Shkreli. And um, probably the best one, referring to the the whole Wu-Tang situation that we just talked about, mm -hmm. was that he said he, quote, disrespected Wu-Tang, so he's I mean, probably I mean, guilty. Well. Um, it got so bad that Ciccarelli's attorney moved for a mistrial. They tried to get the, the press out of the, out of the courtroom, so it was a real mess. How do you even do opening statements after that? Well, so uh, yesterday afternoon, they finally got 12 jurors, and they were finally able to move to opening statements. Shkreli has retained a real sort of brawler criminal defense attorney, uh, old old school New York guy, Ben Braffman, mm -hmm. um, who really leaned into this this negative portrayal. Villainy. Of, right, exactly. Well, you kind of have to. You don't really well, have a he, choice. Well, he sort of did. He played with the cards he was dealt. He said, you know, that, that Shkreli's weird, that he's, quote, an odd duck. Um, <laughs> sure. He likened him to Rain Man Ladies and gentlemen, point. the jury, he is weird. Look <laughs> at him over there. Uh, he quoted Lady Gaga and said uh, he was, quote, born this way. Oh, nice. Well, um, and so what did the prosecution do? Well, did so, they just say, but, like, but he he's said, Thor? He said, you know, you the still with Braffman, he said, you you might have reasons to hate this guy, but none of that stuff has anything to do with whether or not he actually committed fraud, and we need you to decide that question. Sure. Prosecutors did pretty much exactly what you thought. They they called him a con man. They said it was, you know, a uh, classic Ponzi scheme. They, they, they said, said, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, he's weird. <laughs> 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 they said he was gambling with people's money, that, right. he, that it was lies on lies on lies. So, mm. um, yeah, so the... So it's already been... Really, just the introductory stuff has still been so juicy. In it's this been line. wild, and we've got. Uh, according, I talked to Stuart Bishop, our beat reporter, who's going to be there every day watching this trial. Um, we've got four to five weeks left of of this kind of thing. So prepare for exciting stories. Everybody. Correct. Uh, wit government witnesses started today, and um, uh, they're going to go for the next couple weeks, and then um, and then we'll see what we get. Great. Can you top that, Alex? <laughs> well, I don't know about topping hard. it, but I can stay somewhat thematically on brand. Like I, okay. saying, I mean, because we, we've got Shkreli over there, and now we're going to talk about Hogan Gawker. It's like the New York tabloid. All right. Professional wrestling podcast. sex tape is, is a good way to go from Shkreli onward. So. Um, I will we're, we're definitely doing the Page Six podcast today. I will do my best. So you may remember Gawker Media, the famous gossip website Empire, was basically sued into oblivion by Hulk Hogan when they when he sued them for publishing portions of his sex tape, mm -hmm. and uh, he won a $140 million judgment Ooh. against them. Uh, that was in uh, Florida uh, federal court. They intended to keep fighting it, but uh, bankruptcy proceedings had to had to begin almost immediately. They couldn't get a stay on the on the payment. Couldn't get a stay. Right. And uh, a couple months later, they were completely bankrupt. They eventually settled with Hogan uh, to sort of, uh, 
it, it reduced their damages a little bit, but the company does no long no longer exists as we yeah. know it. But we had a new development this week, um, and that is that the bankruptcy judge in New York um, said he allowed Gawker's estate. I'm going to say Gawker sure, when we're talking sure, about this. Sure. I'm of course talking about the administrators of Gawker's sure. estate. He allowed the company to proceed with discovery proceedings against Peter Thiel. And you may remember Peter Thiel was a founder of PayPal, Silicon Valley billionaire, mm-hmm. who was revealed to have been bankrolling Hogan's lawsuit. Because he had Gawker. an axe to grind with, with He Gawker, did. Right? He didn't. They, they wrote a story some years ago um, discussing his sexuality in mm-hmm. a way that he and others thought sort of outed him. They yeah. also had very critical articles about his hedge fund, uh, Clarium Capital. Right. And so, yeah, he, he basically hitched his his uh, sort of finances to the Hogan suit. Mm-hmm. So he'd already admitted that he bankrolled the suit. Yeah, on the what record, are, yeah. What are they looking to get out of this proceeding now? The issue here is that they are investigating Teal's uh, sort of communication with Hogan's lawyer, Charles Harder, mm-hmm. in an effort to determine whether he financed litigation with the explicit intent of destroying the company, not just... Not just like winning the suit, right? Whether for, he wanted to Hulk just Hogan, take down whether he wanted Gawker. to take down, take them down, which right. he ultimately cool. did, right? And that uh, that matters because this case became a flashpoint for a lot, you know, more like bigger picture stuff that we're talking about. So, will discovery get to the bottom of that? It it remains to be seen. Even as he granted their discovery request, the judge said there were a lot of limitations on the kind of information that Gawker can recover here under the terms of their earlier settlements. They're not allowed to obtain any discovery about any litigation involving huh. Hulk Hogan, which is interesting, but he let it go forward anyway, so there's clearly some room there, and this is obviously building for some kind of future legal action against Teal, which we don't quite know the shape of yet. An interesting dynamic, though, has emerged, because now Hogan and Teal are technically on opposite sides of yeah. this, because per, <laughs> per the terms yeah. of Gawker's bankruptcy settlement, any... Uh, further financial reward they may reap, at least a portion of that has to go to Hogan. So. Well, wow. It'll be interesting to sort of see this reopen because it, it it was a sort of, I mean, it was viewed as a big First Amendment issue that this this outside person with a vendetta was was trying to destroy a, a, a media outlet, right? I mean, definitely. that there's, there's a whole Pandora's box of issues, not only with freedom of the press and mm-hmm. the ability of the press to write true things about public figures, but about this whole idea of litigation, you know, angel yeah. investing, basically, right, right. you know, and, and things like that. So Gawker would have made those arguments if they were able to pursue it up the appellate chain. Mm-hmm. They were ultimately were not able to. This is sort. This is a new way to get at that issue in a in a in sort of a novel litigation yeah. path. I can't wait to see how this second bite at the apple goes. We will see. Thanks, Alex. A little later in the show, we'll be speaking with senior immigration reporter Alyssa Wickham to discuss the latest action on President Trump's immigration travel ban. But up first, a look at industry happenings with Abraham Musacco and the Legal Industry Minute. Thanks, Amber. Another ransomware attack crippled businesses and government agencies in Russia, Europe, and the U.S. this past week, and big law giant DLA Piper was one of its prominent victims. Citing suspicious activity, The firm had to take down its IT systems on Tuesday, and its email systems remained down as of Thursday morning. Recent weeks saw two more developments in the growing story of gender bias litigation against major law firms. On June 22nd, law firm Sedgwick settled one such class action filed by a former partner, but just days later, 
a former Steptoe and Johnson associate, hit that firm with a new suit claiming female attorneys earned tens of thousands of dollars less than their male counterparts. And finally, Paul Hastings has agreed to pay $46 million to settle accusations that it aided and abetted alleged wrongdoing during the firm's work on a $2.2 billion private equity deal for independent medical examination company ExamWorks. The deal, part of a broader $86 million settlement, must be approved by a Delaware judge. This has been the week in the legal industry. This week, the Supreme Court capped off its term with a big ruling about President Trump's travel ban. The justices agreed to hear an appeal over the ban in the fall and granted the government's request to reinstate part of the ban in the meantime. Here to tell us where the battle lines will be drawn when the court hears the case in the coming term is our senior immigration reporter, Alyssa Wilkin. Hey, Alyssa. Hi, guys. Hey, Alyssa. Hey. So let's get right into what this travel ban is and what the court said could still be in effect now before they hear the case. Mm -hmm. So this is the second travel ban that Trump has signed. Um, It hopes to stop nationals from six Muslim countries from coming into the United States Mm -hmm. for 90 days, which is about three months. Um, It also aims to suspend admissions of refugees for about 120 days, Mm -hmm. so a little bit longer there. Um, As you guys know, the first travel ban uh, had a very rocky rollout. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of protesting at airports, confusion. JFK was, uh, yeah. Exactly, right. Um, And so that executive order um, was tied up in the courts. Uh, The Ninth Circuit didn't like it very much. Mm -hmm. So then the Trump administration issued a new one in March. Um, The sequel. The sequel, exactly. Travel ban 2.0. That also ran into trouble at the appellate level. Uncreatively recycling a lot of the same (laughs) ideas. Just like the movie. Just like the movie. Exactly. Um, Yeah, so it was substantially similar, though, the the second version. Yeah, it was. There were some tweaks to it. They took Iraq out of Mm -hmm. the list of countries. Um, They changed a few things with the refugees. But for the most part, it's very similar. And uh, Trump even said that it was a watered-down version of the first Right. And, cor- and courts just said this is, you know, that this is uh, beyond the authority of, of the president to, to do this. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, they found that um, there may be a violation of the establishment clause. Right. Um, so some constitutional concerns. Uh, it was a little different. The Fourth Circuit versus the Ninth Circuit. Gotcha. The Ninth Circuit just ruled on statutory grounds. Yeah. They didn't mm-hmm. get to the constitutional stuff. Fourth Circuit went all the way there. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, found that it raised establishment. Clause so problems. when we got to the high court here. They not only said they'd take the case, but Mm -hmm. they issued their own small ruling on this about what part of the ban could remain in the meantime. So what did they say? Yeah, they allowed the ban to partially go forward. Um, Specifically, the Supreme Court said, let me just find the exact language here. Yeah, because that language matters. (laughs) It's it's a little technical, but it's kind of important in this line. Um, So, okay, when the court narrowed the block against the ban, they ruled that it can't be enforced against people who have a, quote, credible claim of a bona fide relationship to a person or an entity in the United States. Everyone else... So what does that mean? What's a bona fide relationship? That's a great question. (laughs) I'm sure that we're all figuring it out one day at a time. (laughs) I'm sure that courts may have to figure it out. Courts may have to, too. Well, it was interesting because the Supreme Court decided to give a little bit of a definition of what Mm -hmm. this means, but they didn't fully set it out. They kind of They gave, like, weird examples, right? Yeah. It seems, we were talking about this off the air, but it just seems like such an odd thing that the court, you know, gave this little weird half opinion Mm -hmm. when they, you you know, normally it's just a yes or no. It's it's a list of, like, hey, where's, where's the case number I'm 
interested right. in following. So like everything else this with this presidency, it seems like it's a little bit out of the out of the normal. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. And I'm not sure why the court decided to do that. If they wanted to be a little bit deferential to the executive branch, didn't mm-hmm. want to lay it all out there. But what they ended up doing was they gave a few examples of qualifying relationships. For instance, they said, um, you know, for individuals, a close familial relationship is required. Uh, they also pointed to students um, who may have an acceptance letter from a university or employees who have a job offer from a United States company. Um, but we are still waiting for full guidance on this. As we're recording this, we mm-hmm. do not yet have it. Uh, yeah, we record on Thursdays, mm-hmm. so we don't have the full thing right now. And the ban is about, that, that portion of it anyway, exactly. is about to go back into effect. It is. It goes into effect at 8 p.m. this evening oh, on wow. Thursday. Yeah. So, you know, judging from the first travel ban where there was no public notice at all, yeah. you know, people were just scrambling to figure out what that meant. You would think that the administration would want to get a jump as much as they could on this one and issue guidance to the public before uh, it goes into effect tonight. But so far, we don't have it. So let's turn to talking a bit about what's going to happen this fall. Mm -hmm. So when it goes back to the court, it seems like there's uh, the real tension is what can Trump do in the name of terrorism and national security versus um, whether or not it's actually just religious discrimination. Is that going to be the key arguments in this case? Yes, absolutely. So uh, certainly the government is going to argue that the president has very broad authority to bar immigrants from coming into the United States for national security concerns. Mm -hmm. Um, And then... You know, the plaintiffs or the organizations in the case will argue uh, that this is basically the Muslim ban that Trump um, so famously talked about on the campaign trail, saying that he wanted a complete and total shutdown of Muslims coming to the U.S. He, like, stumped on it. He said it in a ton of speeches. He did. Absolutely. So will those words actually come back to haunt him in the case? That's a good question. Uh, That's one of the key issues that the court is going to have to decide. If they want to look behind the executive order Mm -hmm. at things like campaign statements or tweets, or if they think that the national security reasons are a legitimate reason and there's no need to look behind the order. So that's actually a huge legal issue. Well, speaking of statements, you know, you heard statements from the administration that that this ruling that, you know, taking the case and and reinstating some of the ban was, you know, was a a victory for them. Mm -hmm. Um, Can we read into this how the justices might rule in when they eventually do rule on the merits of the case? Mm -hmm. I mean, certainly... I think we have a good sense that some of the more conservative justices, uh, Justice Thomas, Alito, and uh, Gorsuch, um, are probably going to side with the government on this one, Mm -hmm. I would say, just given the breakdown that we got with the mini opinion. I would say we got some guidance here with with taking up the petition, right? Yeah, Yeah. those three justices filed a dissent, essentially saying that they would have allowed the ban to fully go into effect. Interesting. And again, we were talking about this unusual, it's, you know, it's, they it's like tipping normal, their hat. Right. It's it's odd to go into, we always talk about SCOTUS as such a black box that you we don't really know. know what's going on we behind. Should, and scratch our beards and prognosticate <laughs> about <laughs> the often, so, often poorly. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I mean, as is always true, other people are prognosticating too. And one thing is that Republicans in Congress are convinced that Ginsburg is going to vote to strike down the ban. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I in fact, they sent a letter asking for her to recuse herself because she, um, back during the campaign, had made some statements about Trump being essentially unfit. Mm -hmm. We knew that was going to come up, whatever... Yeah. Whatever presidential policy came before the court first totally. when that started so going on. This yeah. one, I think they felt compelled to send this letter because um, they're making the argument that if the court does turn to Trump's own statements, yeah. then mm-hmm. it, 
becomes more about Trump than the policy itself, right. and therefore she might have a problem. I and, was su- I, I was I, surprised. I saw like like I said, I, I saw like a headline saying some Republicans were calling for her recusal, and I thought it was maybe a House member or two. But it's like fifty seven Republicans yeah, on that it letter. It was a big group. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I don't I, think she will. I don't but, think she will either. But it, but it's part of this growing it was just clamor yeah. in this mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. case. Mm-hmm. So looking forward now mm-hmm. at this. Uh, this decision, what sort of can we expect in the months in between? You know, I know you said that um, the we're hoping for guidance either tonight or tomorrow, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, what can we expect over the next few months? Mm-hmm. Well, so we've already gotten some reports saying that certain kinds of family member categories like grandparents mm-hmm. uh, may not be allowed under the travel ban. Brutal. I know, it, is. it is. Your grandpa. Um, so certainly um, folks are going to be looking for the guidance when that comes out and scrutinizing that very closely. I would not be surprised if those categories of allowable relationships get challenged in court. Yeah. Um, so it we spawn some whole other web of litigation. Yeah. It really Just could. what we need. The justice is left for vacation too early. <laughs> um, and so that's going to be happening. Uh, meanwhile, people who are trying to come into the United States, um, immigration attorneys have told me that they're going to need to have all of their documents uh, when they go to their visa interviews, things like mm-hmm. university acceptance letters, job um, offer letters, stuff like that, and then have those in their pocket when they come into the United this States This is like well. Uber, show me your papers there. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Show me your papers and the papers of the people you intend to visit. <laughs> yeah. And then show me the papers again when another <laughs> customs agent asks for them. Sure. And then oh, show yeah. me sure. again when you're here. Like It's, it's going to be a lot of proving that they count. Yeah, proving those relationships. Yeah. So what's the timeline for the case itself? Is it Are we on an expedited track? Are we... Not on an expedited track, interestingly enough. Um, just sort of a normal pace. They did set it for the fall. I imagine it's going to be one of the very early argued cases, mm-hmm. but we're not on any sort of sped up schedule here, really. So basically, we're going to have to wait and see how this turns out and mm-hmm. see what other cases we get over the summer mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Thanks. Thanks for bringing that, Alyssa. Thanks, Appreciate Alyssa. It. Thank Thanks you. so much, guys. We have one more story to talk about to close the show. And and what a story. <laughs> it is what a story. It doesn't disappoint. It's one that we just couldn't ignore, I yeah. think. Um, so there was this former litigation associate. His name is Michael Porter, I think. Um, anyway, if I'm pronouncing that wrong, the gist of this is he worked at Denton's in Los Angeles. And he was arrested on an extortion charge. Wow. Yeah. So he threatened to release confidential firm information. And uh, he got that by stealing it from a partner's email account <laughs> hmm. and then said that he would release it if he wasn't paid off. Why would he, why would he do such a thing, Amber? What? Oh, man. I mean, I'm uh, sure he had his it's reasons. That's a great question. Um, so he was going to leave the firm anyway. Uh-huh. He was going to go back to get a graduate degree in political science, and this uh, was supposed to happen in the fall, and he asked to stay on with the firm until then, and the mm-hmm. firm was like, that's okay. Yeah. You can go yeah. now. And Wild. he was not pleased about that. So he made some statements about how he wanted to expose the professional challenges <laughs> for people his age. He graduated in 2007, so he's a really young guy. Yeah. Um, he said people were getting screwed, and this was his chance to screw back. Hmm. Okay. Sounds yeah. like rapping like a really dumb, selfish act in like a really high yeah. thing. Uh, sure. Amber, yeah. you were a young associate once. How many times have you done something like this? Mm, let me think about it, Alex. Um, zero. Do you I recommend know, it, though? No thanks. Okay. 
No, I do not recommend this. Okay. So wait, where? what was he going to do with the documents? So he was going to take those documents and he was going to give them to above the law. Oh, he wasn't going to give them to us? Oh, he, those clowns. Uh, what the hell? Right? All right. Right. Uh, but yeah, he was going to give them to above the law. And the documents he had were things like, they were some pretty serious things. It was mm-hmm. quarterly financial reports. He had documents about the way Denton's decides okay. how to bill clients. He had confidential reviews of associates. I mean, a lot of high-level things but that you, the firm doesn't, no firm would want sure. just released. Okay, well, you, but you mentioned it was an extortion, it was an extortion thing. What was he asking for in, in, to, to, to not give oh, these documents guys. to above the law? Okay, so he was asking for $210,000. So yeah. it was just extortion. Like, what, what? Well, it gets better. Uh-huh. He also really wanted a piece of art from the firm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I mean... I don't know what piece of art. I'm dying to know that, by the way. We, well, so we weren't like, able to determine which piece of art he I, He's like, he's on the phone. He's like, I want a painting. I, uh, I don't know what kind of painting, but uh, I like dogs. I like playing poker. <laughs> I'm sure you can figure something out. Like, I feel like you're you know. vaguely so, doing a Keanu Reeves voice right now. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, if you, you, you would know. Well, it would yeah. not be an inkling. You would know. You slow down, this law firm will explode. <laughs> I know that was a bit there, but... <laughs> I just would like to point out, he was not on the phone. Here's how this went down. Oh, so wow. the yes. firm set up a sting with the FBI. Oh, to get out of here. So they, he had apparently made the overture for his extortion. Awesome. And they yeah. called him in and said, well, let's have a meeting about it. We'll give you what you want. Well, what they really did is have a meeting that the FBI recorded. So hmm. they got this guy red-handed. I mean, he said he wanted the $210,000. He wanted the piece of art. Nice. Yeah. What a dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I want to know. I mean, I want to know where he went to law school. I want to know (laughs) who you want to know whose man's is. I want to know everything about this guy. Well, okay, I can give you a little information. I don't know where he went to school, but I do know that Denton's didn't hire somebody that seems out of the norm for an associate hire. Mm -hmm. He's worked at the Denton's LA office since 2015. Before that, for a while, he was a law clerk in the Northern District of Illinois, Mm -hmm. and he was an associate at Kirkland and Ellis in Chicago. So some legit jobs. And before that, that, he spent several years shoving forks into outlets. Like what? what, what, (laughs) It's really hard to tell what went wrong. But one thing I can say is he really thought this was going to succeed, and he thought he was going to take down Denton's. He even said that he wanted to prove just how much damage I can do. So he no. thought he really had him. I mean, he was kind of right. Yeah, he yeah. To himself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. to himself. So that's that tale. Thanks for being with me today, guys. Thanks, Bill. So long, guys. And Alex. See you guys next week. If you want to know more about any of the legal developments we've discussed today, check out our website, law360.com backslash podcast. And if you like the show, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Thanks, and join us again next week. We have several people to thank for today's show, including our producers Kelly Marcano and Stephen Trader. We'd also like to thank our guest Alyssa Wickham. Contributing reporters this week include Stuart Bishop, Cara Salvatore, Sam Reisman, Melissa Daniels, and Matt Chaparty. Music for the show this week comes from Silent Partner and Little Glassman. <laughs>